How much do you know about Antarctica? Welcome to the Everything Antarctica podcast, where your hosts, Maddie Jordan and Johnny Harrison, will answer all of your questions. We'll talk to globally recognised experts, discuss current affairs, news, and ultimately highlight why Antarctica should matter to you. Come on a journey as we unpack everything you've ever wondered about the world's most extreme environment. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Everything Antarctica podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Jordan. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Johnny Harrison. Today, we're talking about survival training and how to stay warm in Antarctica. For me, coming from Perth, growing up in Western Australia, the cold is not something that I'd really been used to. I only saw snow for the first time when I turned 19 on a trip to the UK. So immersing myself in a super cold, a super challenging, super remote environment was something that was was a bit new. I'd done a whole bunch of camping and traveling and things up until that point, but living and working in this super cold environment was something that I needed a bit of help with. So today we're going to talk about what it takes and how we get prepared for for a long deployment in in Antarctica. Where do we start, Johnny? (laughs) So I guess um, you've got a job with Antarctica, New Zealand, say you've headed south, you've you've made it to the ice, and uh, usually after the first few days you're busy, 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 and then you'll you'll get um, told when you're going to go out for your survival training, and um, it sort of consists of two parts. So there's kind of like a classroom uh, sort of part to it, or like an on-station part, and then then uh, the better part of it is you go out over overnight somewhere else on on the um, ice shelf, which is pretty epic. So um, I think we'll probably start best off in the classroom. So how does that all kick off? Yes, I suppose it's worth noting that until you've done your survival training you're pretty much confined to base because you don't have that experience you don't really know how your layering system works you don't know what the different colored flags mean for example so they tend to keep you inside until you've gone through that but there's a couple of different levels of survival training so if you're only there for a couple of days and whatever and you don't need to leave base then they'll just teach you the very basics which will give you the opportunity just to walk around the, the base but you'll need to be accompanied when when going out off station with other people but the first thing really is just sitting down, uh, it's watching a PowerPoint basically, where I run through things like cold weather injuries, what to look out for. Um, we've got different coloured flags that we mark around the base which signify different things. So um, for us specifically, red and green flags mark safe routes, which is probably counterintuitive to what you might think with a big red flag, but they are safe routes. Um, blue marks fuel and black marks danger. And then you've got different orientations of the flags. So crossed black flags means definitely don't go or could be marking a crevasse or something similar like that. So it's all these sorts of things that you start to get a bit of an understanding of of what they are. And yeah, theoretical things like that. So, you know, how to check the weather, um, where to find information about what's happening over the next day or the next couple of days. So if you're planning on going for a walk, where you go to find out what's happening so that you can pack adequately and things like that. And also run through the contents of a survival bag to find out, you know, what you need to take with you and then if you do have to use it in the in the unlikely event that that, that something happens, you know, how do you cook your meals? How do you start the stove? You know, what do you do with your, your pee? Uh, how do you use a, a pee bottle and all those sorts of things. So that's all the kind of stuff that comes up and then yeah 
go through the theory of it and then you put it into practice a bit later on. Yeah, so the other side of that as well is um, in the survival bags there's a uh, usually a little dome tent and so it's kind of you know making sure that you can actually go and put up a tent which yeah, is yeah. quite quite yeah. critical um, and then there's a, a bunch of other sort of uh, day-to-day sort of bits and pieces so things like um, well, they use uh, what they call a boffy bag which is yeah, yeah. Um, you sort of put one of those in the in the bottom of your your, your backpack that you take around day-to-day and and if, if the wind really does pick up and you're in trouble then you just sort of use that as another windbreak to kind of keep yourself warm until uh, you know if it's that bad that you've got to wait for it to die down before before help arrives so there's all those kind of things eh? and then um, they they sort of talk more in detail around the layering system and kind of the different layers and when you'd kind of be expected or when when you can expect to use the different types of layers which um, is very personal dependent and then once you actually go out for the overnighter component that's where you really put some of that stuff into into practice which is really good and the other thing that they sort of talk to you about is the idea of this uh, green bag situation so having having whether it's a backpack or or actually having we we travel south with these uh, physical bags which are are green um, (laughs) which are fine but they're more of kind of like a a carry bag tote type thing so you you don't really want to be putting that on your backpack um, sort of walking over to McMurdo with it so um, go and sort yourself out a backpack and and, and assign yourself one for the the duration of your time down there. the first thing I do when I get down there. The green bag just gets put in the drawers below my bed and it doesn't see much much action (laughs) until I need to go somewhere. Uh, Yeah those backpacks that are available just a free for all to grab that and it, there's plenty of space in there for your ECW jacket for your pee bottle for even potentially a spare pair of shoes if you want that um, bit of snack something to eat a few yeah bits of pieces of food and things like that especially if you're going out for a reasonable period of time spare pairs of gloves some extra socks even it's quite useful and then hand warmers foot warmers and stuff like that but I tend to I tend to get all of that together and it just sits in the bag it lives in my locker and I know whenever I'm going outside I just grab that straight off the hook it's got everything that I need in there I know there's always going to be food my pee bottle's always going to be in there I'm going to have a, a change of socks or different gloves and things like that it just makes it super efficient super simple to get ready yeah and then even if you're just doing a quick trip over to McMurdo you just end up grabbing that bag sweet away you go you know you're set and so anything that sort of arises you're, you're pretty well ready to go aren't you yeah definitely the only thing that you will need to think about is signing out to get off base and grabbing a radio so do you want to talk us through that process yeah so at scott base they've got a um, manual paper based system whereby you end up going to the the main comms area and that's where the sign out book is so you'll go through and, and you'll uh, sign out for a duration when you expect to be back where you're going a contact number of your radio um so that you can end up uh you've got that all assigned to you and um yeah all of those kind of things what else is on there is uh yeah so just the, the key things are you know who you are what your name is, where you're going, how you're getting there, what radio you've got, and what time you're expecting to, to be back. They're the, the kind of key things. And during the, the whole survival training and the learning to live in Antarctica, they run you through the process. So if you miss your sign-out time, what's the step that the process that happens after that? Typically, if you're five minutes late, then they'll start to ramp up a bit of a team to go, all right, where did he go? Has anyone heard from him? Um, does he have friends that he might be out walking with or you know has she gone for a long duration walk or is it just a little one are we expecting them back soon or you know is it still going to be a while are they overnighting and all these questions so to start build up a bit of a picture about what's going on the radios are great essentially everywhere you go you've got radio contact back to back to base on a number of different radio channels 
often take a spare battery depending on the duration of time that I'm going out and again it's like the camera batteries and the phone batteries that we spoke about just keeping that somewhere warm in your pocket nice and close to your body um, yeah so that's a that's a really important part of, of survival is just maintaining that communication and mm. And interestingly, in summer, so we end up having uh, comms operators or dedicated uh, people that look after um, sort of essentially manning the radios. Yeah. And um, whereas in winter, that's slightly different and it's kind of the duty operator for the day. So that kind of rotates around on a rostered basis. But you've, either which way, there's always um, somebody there that uh, knows where you're going essentially. And then can, um, is, um, in summer, when they're checking the book, they'll check it quite regularly. So they'll know, oh, yep, cool. I expect Johnny back at this time. Cool. Oh, I haven't heard from Johnny, I haven't seen him, he hasn't come back, has he just forgotten to sign in, but he is back on base, so put a yeah. comms, uh, you know, put a put a call out over the intercom system and uh, kind of go from there, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's so good having that 24-hour comms in summer, because it means that you can kind of go out, I mean, it's 24 hours of sunlight, right, so there are a lot of people that will go cross-country skiing at 9pm, and it's totally fine, because they're in constant communications with someone back on base who can, you know who can manage a situation if something does eventuate. So, yeah, mm. it's a really important part of the survival training. Yeah. So then uh, sort of fast-forwarding on the survival training, you've signed out from base and you've gone through all that process and you're you're ready for the overnight. What, um, or I suppose, what steps do you have to take before you're ready for the overnight? Is getting all your sleeping kit together and all that? Yeah, yeah. So, obviously... There's quite a bit that goes into that. We are sleeping out in tents. Uh, they're called Scott Polar tents, and they're pretty similar to what the early historic explorers would have would have used back in the day. And they work, so we haven't really done a whole lot to change them. They're pretty efficient. So essentially, go, gathering a sleeping kit together, you'd take uh, a mat to protect you from the the cold. We have these nice little sheepskin rugs that sit over the top of that that provide a bit of additional insulation. And then there's a sleeping bag, you know, pillow, a few other things like that 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 you'll want. Sometimes double sleeping bag if if it's getting super cold. But a lot of the training happens in summer, so you can pretty much get a, get away with one. And it's worth noting that you're accompanied this whole time, so you've got a an outdoor expert. We call them field trainers or field support that are there with you to guide you through the whole process. So it's not just like grab a sleeping bag and a mat and off you go and kind of work it out yourself. There. The whole idea is it's it's a training exercise, so you've got someone there who's teaching you, and you have the ability to ask questions and things like that. So, yeah, and they're always um, acutely aware of their responsibility to make sure that they're looking after your safety. So, yeah, a lot of those sort of telltale signs for like frost nip or all those kind of you know, yep, okay, who's actually rubbing their hands together to try and keep warm, or who looks like they're just you know starting to quieten down. They're usually quite a noisy or a louder person. Yeah. Well, okay, maybe I need to check in on them and see how they're going. Yeah, and it extends beyond things like that just to making sure that people are hydrated and drinking enough you dehydrate quite quickly in antarctica so making sure that you're drinking sufficient amounts of water to to make sure that you're still functioning and and all that sort of stuff so these are little signs that you need to look out for mm-hmm. yeah cool so you've got all your, your kit together you've signed out from base and um, you pretty much jump in the back of a hagland yeah typically so a hagland a very effective way to get around down in antarctica they're sort of all-terrain tracked vehicles that um, that do float um, which is good, especially if you're driving over sea ice and things like that. But, yeah, essentially pile up in the back of a Hagland and drive out to the the campsite. It's essentially set up. Uh, it's probably about six or seven kilometres away from base um, heading out there. But on the way out, one of the things that we do need to consider is that whenever we're crossing a thing called a transition, we need to radio into base to let them know. 
the transition between Scott Base and the area where we go for field training, there's a transition between rock and ice shelf. So you're crossing there and there tends to be a little bit of a crack in there, which is a, it's a hazardous area. It's not a crevasse, but it is an area that we like to, um, just to make sure that people will have made their way across that safely. So we'll radio in from there and say, hey, look, we're just crossing the transition. Uh, we'll let you know when we're on the other side and then Scott Base will know, okay, cool, this is where they are. It also provides a bit of a marker to say, you know, they're off base, they're in this area and I know where they're heading out to. Um, in winter we'll call when we leave and when we arrive but in summer it's just you know we'll check in maybe when we get there or something like that to to let base know that things have have gone well so we'll get out to the camp and sometimes there's tents already set up but oftentimes you'll have to set, set your own tent up so yeah what was that experience like for you yeah so when i did field training it was like negative 35 oh, yeah that's cold and uh it was pretty windy it was pretty brutal yeah. and so we uh, hurriedly tried to set up all these tents and um, we were the first ones out for the year so we ended up having to set all the tents up <laughs> and then um, the only one that might have been set up was the um, toilet tent which yeah. we'll touch on shortly yeah. and um, once we'd sort of set all our camp up then it was kind of okay cool now we've got all our, our tents done we'll move on to creating a bit of a, a camp kitchen and so um, started cutting with using saws cutting up some ice blocks and and make a make a bit of a barrier wall to sort of protect ourselves from the wind and um, a nice little uh, place to that we could start setting up some cookers and and get ready to start making some dinner yeah people have asked about that as well i mean i've put up a few photos and videos of what that camp kitchen looks like and people uh i think maybe under the impression that we've got like a mold or something that we pack snow into and then it pops out like an ice cube but the the snow and the well it is snow the compact snow there is of a consistency where you can essentially just take a saw and cut these blocks out which works really well. So you work out into a little pit, you take these blocks away and then give them to someone else who will then stack them into a, typically a half, like a semicircle type thing with a consideration of which direction the wind is blowing in to make sure that, you know, it is actually acting as a shelter and it's not just a big tunnel that's funneling the wind straight onto you. So protecting yourself from that, but it doesn't take too long to build that kitchen. Maybe an hour, if you've got enough people helping you, you can get through that pretty quick. Yeah, I'd, I'd um, almost... Uh, the consistency of the snow is similar to that of like styrofoam or mm. or, or polystyrene. Yeah. So you're sort of cutting through these blocks rather than very much this powdery snow, um, but which does make it very easy for for moving big quantities of it. And it's typically quite light. I found it's yeah. not super um, super heavy because there's very little moisture content to it. So um, that makes it a bit easier for sure. And, and definitely having big numbers to to establish that camp makes it a a very very much more enjoyable process. Yeah, you almost get a production line going, right? So you'll have someone on the or who's cutting up blocks and then someone else who's got a shovel or something that's prodding them out and then that gets handed to someone and then people just pass them along to each other and someone's there placing it in, in place and often you'll have little gaps in between and someone will just be there stuffing it with snow and things like that. So yeah, it typically works pretty well but when I did my field training, I think there were only four of us. So we built a pretty small kitchen, obviously given the, the size of the, the group that we had, we didn't need it to be massive but it was also about... I don't know, maybe minus four or minus six or something. So it was like, it was a pretty good day and we probably would have been fine getting away without it, but it was quite overcast. It wasn't sunny. So, you know, it kind of felt a little bit colder, a little bit more gloomy, but either way, it doesn't matter how many people you've got. You can get away with building a pretty sufficient kitchen or shelter 
Mm. Yeah, and and that's the um, the key essentially to the to that skill that you're learning in that in that time is that okay, how do I actually build a shelter rather than if I don't have a tent and it's not easy to get it up? Yep, cool. Okay, what are my other options? So so that's one of those skills that you learn pretty quickly. Okay, sweet. This is what the snow consistency is like, and this is how you actually physically do one of these. Yeah, and people say, oh, why wouldn't you just build an igloo? And I mean, sometimes we do. Yeah. It is a good team building activity when you're out there and. Not necessarily something that if you need to, you're, you're going to build. You'd probably be better off just digging a hole and um, and sleeping in that. But igloos are pretty fun. They're a cool team building experience. And it is always nice to go back to base and be like, oh, how was field training? Yeah, it was great. We built an igloo. And then people head out there and they sleep in the igloo over the next couple of days, weeks and months or whatever it might be. So... Uh, not an essential part of survival training, but something fun to do anyway. Yeah, definitely. I guess we um, sort of touched on it earlier around the toilet tent. So that's one thing to note is that um, we have a dedicated area that's just specifically for, for toilet facilities. So you, you sleep in your in your tent, but yeah, and you cook outside in the in the in the kitchen area, and then yeah, anything that you need to do in the toilet side of things, you go out to the toilet tent. Definitely, and I think it's probably worth touching on to say that. All of the human waste that's produced in the field is then sent back to Scott Base. Um, we don't just dig holes and do our thing. All of that is contained within buckets and bottles and things like that and then taken back to Scott Base to process. So none of it's left out there in the field and having a tent obviously gives you a bit of privacy but also gives you the ability to manage buckets and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, the tent, it's it, it's time-consuming, right, to go. You're in all these layers, you've got big gloves on and all that sort of stuff, but having a tent that's at least shelters you from the wind, if nothing else, is, is super helpful to, to go there. So often a, a little makeshift toilet seat um, with a bucket underneath it and you do your thing and, yeah, that's about it. Double bag, double tag? Yeah, yep, double bag, double tag. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's just a fabric tent, so if you're not sure whether someone's in there, you can't just knock on the door, but you would just say, hey, is anyone there? And you might get a, yep, yeah, occupied, or, yep, yeah, busy, or you won't get anything, and then you can make your way in. So, hmm. Yeah, and so then I guess for for my field training, we ended up going up to Castle Rock after that for a, a bit of an evening sort of mission. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it was there was no rope set up or anything like that, so we couldn't uh, scale the rock. But um, it was, again, sort of you're out in the field at that point, and so a lot of those kind of uh, markers or things to look for, so the, the things that we'd discussed in the classroom earlier in the day, kind of start making more sense so you start looking at the surrounds and sort of saying oh okay this is where the wind's wind's coming from or this is where the weather is going to be baddest you know worst is going to be coming from here and and if if you see it approaching from this you know you've got this distance between this landmark and that landmark so you know the speed that the weather's actually traveling and all those kind of things right yeah that's a great part of survival training it's a really interesting geological landmark and it is elevator above it is elevated above much of the other landscape so you do get a really good viewpoint uh, you get views out towards Mount Erebus towards the Royal Society range in the Transantarctic Mountains up to Cape Evans and Cape Royds where the early heroic explorers huts are which we'll touch on in, in future episodes but getting a view down to the camp where you've just come from all that sort of stuff it just gives you a really good picture of what's happening around in the in the surrounding environment and that helps to build a good picture about you know well, I forget questions about, no, don't you get lost? And there's enough features around that if you know how to distinguish them and then which features are north, south, east, west, it's pretty easy to find your way around. So 
it's a really interesting part of that survival training just to get your bearings and orientate yourself. And for a lot of people, that's the first time that they've actually been properly off base yeah. since arriving down at, at, at station. So, you know, you, you get off the plane and there's that kind of shock and you don't really know which way's up for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then you sort of get rushed off to station and then, okay, it's not until this time that you're like, okay, this is this is cool, you know, actually starting to see some of Antarctica. It's pretty epic. Yeah, and this is where some of those little tricks and tips with photography and stuff come in for the first time. You often find that someone gets up there and their batteries already dead or you know their phone's out of juice and they're like oh i really wanted to take a photo up here and it's like okay well, cool here's a little survival thing that we can talk about if you're going to be using electronics you want to keep them warm so it's this experience that builds up over time but you often make a lot of mistakes in that first kind of week and you learn pretty quickly from there and that's where it's a safe environment to fail right so it's like that's totally there it's set up with all these people to monitor to sort of make sure that yep okay we've got all these checks and balances there so that nothing nothing bad is actually going to happen um so yeah it's it's a very very safe scenario and situation to be in yeah and worst case scenario you're 10 15 minutes away from base you feel like you're further away but it's a pretty quick ride back if if something you know if someone needs some attention or something else yeah so then uh out for the night go to go to sleep and then wake up the next day and what happens then i think before we get to that point like we'll go through what it's like to eat dinner so this oh, is yeah, yep, yep. This, this is not like you've got a chef out there who's preparing your meal like they do on base we are typically eating backcountry meals so they're the the packets that you you rip the top off you pour some boiling water in there and um, and that's your dinner for the night but to get to that point we first need to boil some water so how do we do that? Yeah, so one of the things you take out into the field is um, camp stove. So um, it can be just that with a propane LPG bottle. Um, and as long as it's not too cold, it doesn't separate. So it's pretty good. Um, and then we also have little white spirits uh, cockers if uh, some um, temperatures are, are worse. So yeah. um, those are typically what we'd find in our survival bags. But um, when you're going out in a big group like this, we'll, we'll have a little couple of uh, little camp stoves that we take out there and um, yeah, boil up a few pots of, of nice hot water and mix for some nice um, hot chocolate and tea and coffee uh, which is always a, a good way to warm you up and then um, yeah, as you say sort of pour that into your dehigh and, and uh, leave that sit for a few minutes while you um, stir it around and then um, off you go you yeah. get some sustenance back in you. Yeah and I suppose it's worth noting that there's a couple of ways to get water so some people just bring out massive bottles of water or it might just be what they've got in their drinking bottle or we might take out a, a larger tub uh, or we can melt snow. So the first time that we did it, the the field trainer said, "Hey, we might as well melt some snow because it's." We went to an area away from the the camp. Uh, we known that it was relatively fresh snowfall, so we threw that in there. And obviously, it takes a little bit longer to melt snow because it's yeah, it's colder than the water that would be in a, in a water bottle. But that was quite a cool experience. You know, you're melting your own snow to make water that then goes into your dehydrated meal, which provides your food for the evening. So Yeah, and that also shows you how much volume of snow that you actually need in order to create that quantity That's of water, right? About a tenth, eh? That's phenomenal, eh? Yeah, it's quite a lot. Cool. So we've sat down. Um, most of the, the dinner will be eaten in that kitchen area because it's a time to socialise and you get to chat and... The people that you're doing survival training with might just be someone who is down on your flight. They might not necessarily be someone that you know or they could be from, you know, potentially not in the same city as you in New Zealand or like potentially not even the same country. So a really cool way just to establish some friendships and make some bonds with some people and that's really cool because when you're back at Scott Base and you're walking down the corridor, you've at least got a couple of familiar faces, especially if it's your first time there and you don't really know many people. It's a, it's a good time to make some friends. Yeah, absolutely. And then... Uh 
uh, finally end up uh, wrapping up for the night and call it a night. So yeah, we'll crawl into the tent and they're shared typically between two people. So um, you'll often have a, a roommate there with you, which sometimes is good, sometimes it's not so great, especially if you've got someone who's in there that snores. But if they do snore, it's just a piece of canvas between that tent and the other tent. So often someone from a, a different tent that you think is miles away will complain and be like, oh, who's that person snoring last night? And it's just a, it's just the nature of how it works. It's just how it goes. But yeah, you'll settle in. The, the key thing for me that I found was that I need to go to bed warm. So I need to make sure that my toes aren't even remotely cold before I jump into the sleeping bag. My fingertips are all good. And yeah, that makes a massive difference. So often just running around or going for a little walk just to warm yourself up and then jumping into your sleeping bag immediately after that. One of the benefits that we get with the dehydrated meals is that we're obviously, we're boiling up large portions of water, which are really great to pour into your water bottles and then slip in your sleeping bag to keep yourself warm. So I often had a, I guess it's a hot water bottle, right? It's a hot water bottle. Had a hot water bottle down by my toes to keep my toes warm. And um, yeah, it just makes for, makes for a nice night's sleep. Mm. One of the things that I've found um, quite interesting about that whole field training and, and survival training experience is the, the idea that actually you're okay if you're cold and that yeah. understanding where, okay, it's now I'm not okay being cold. And for a lot of people, you're never uh, ex- exposed to that level of un- needing to understand that difference and that distinction between when it's okay to be cold and when it's not okay to be cold. Yeah. And so um, I think that was one of the key lessons that I brought out is like, yep, okay, sweet. I can be uncomfortable and cold and be perfectly fine and safe yeah, and, yeah. and I'm not going to get hypothermia, I'm not going to get frostbite. Yeah. But um, then, then understanding where that line is and when it's like, okay, now it's okay, I've been cold for a long time or I'm... I'm cold getting colder and I'm not I'm not maintaining the level yeah. that I had that's when it's starting to get dangerous yeah that's when you start speaking to people and you say look I'm actually getting cold mm. what can we do about it yep yeah totally yeah. cool so you wake up the next day um, often there's frost above your head from your breath that's frozen overnight you'll occasionally get icicles from the top of the tent sort of hanging down that are growing as as the time goes on so that's always pretty interesting but um, yeah what happens the next day once you've woken up yeah, so everyone slowly sort of uh, gets up and out of bed and takes a wee while to sort of get get going, <laughs> particularly when you're a bit colder. And then, um, yeah, everyone sort of emerges from their tents and uh, comes and has breakfast. And for me, it was um, I couldn't couldn't really be bothered waiting for the, all the water to boil, so I thought, oh, I'll be smart here and I'll just grab a granola bar and just have this granola bar. And so I went and chucked it in my mouth and then... Unk, yeah, it's instantly and, frozen. And it was already frozen yeah. and it had been frozen well all, all night. And, and there was... I was like, ah, oh, okay. So then <laughs> reach into my jackets and, and put it up underneath my armpit and just leave it there for about 20 minutes while it's like, oh, yep. And then by, the, by that time, everyone's got their boiling water in there. They've got their nice warm porridge. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe that wasn't <laughs> the smartest yeah, decision. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I pretty much did the same thing because we typically get back to base by about 10 a.m which is just in time for smoko or morning tea so i often just left it i would do the same i I might be able to steal a bit of hot water from someone to have a cup of tea or something in the morning but i often didn't eat much out there for that reason exactly as yeah it was often a granola bar or something like that and it was frozen by the time you tried to eat it so anyway just wait to get back to base and yeah. Eat, eat nice warm food with everyone else. So then, yeah, you pack up all your your sleeping bag and everything like that, and load everything back up in the Hagland, and then um, head back to base. Yeah, back to base. Typically, you'll probably have a meal, and then after that, it's all about decanting. So you're, you're washing your sleeping bag, and you know, getting that all ready to um, 
so that it's all set up for the next group that goes out. So. Yeah, we call it um, demobilising at the end. So demob, um, typically um, any time you've got any kind of field event or uh, going out anywhere, um, there's always kind of a breakup of activities and this person looks after that thing or whatever, yeah. particularly if you've got a bigger group, it's quite quite good to be able to smash that out pretty quick and yeah. um, kind of return back to um, do a bit of a recap and then then you've sort of been signed off on your field training skills and, and uh, off you go, you're free. Yeah, that recap's really cool because you get to go through the learnings and, you know, what went well, what didn't go so well, what could we have done better, what would have made your experience better, which is not only helpful for you in the group to learn, but it's also taken by that field trainer to employ to the the next group that goes out and say, hey, the last group learnt this, maybe it's something that you might want to think about doing. So always a process of continual learning and always trying to get better, always seeking feedback on things that go well and things that don't go well so that we can learn from them and do better next time. Yeah, so good, so good. So I guess um, it's one thing to note is that whenever you are um, travelling uh, an aircraft or anything like that, um, you'll always have um, survival bags but you'll also be in your full ECW whenever you're travelling in, um, in a vehicle or any any sort of mode of transportation, there'll always be a survival bag there. So the contents that you, you learn to use on your survival training they're everywhere so um, it's one of those things that it's not just a kind of oh yeah that was a nice to do and away you go it's kind of like okay are we going out in the field right let's go and get ourselves a survival bag chuck it on the top of the Hagland and out we go so it's kind of it's very forefront in your mind when when you're thinking about how remote you are it just has to come into your every decision making pretty much and it becomes second nature after a while right you're just like oh cool we're going out grab your green bag grab your survival bag and everything's all good comfortable knowing that you you know how to use it if you need to so yeah it's great training yeah so good it also helps that it's heaps of fun yeah absolutely yeah. i mean there's not many people that get to spend a night out in the middle yeah. of nowhere in antarctica it's pretty cool yeah and the other one is how many of those skills do you actually apply now uh when you're when you're not on the ice right like heaps. just that readiness mindset and that kind of yep okay thinking about a few steps ahead yeah it's great yeah yeah, even if I'm going up into the mountains or something in New Zealand, if I'm going snowboarding or whatever, I'll think about the layering system and be like, all right, cool, have I got my thermals, have I got my gloves, have I got spare socks and all that sort of stuff, and it just comes with me. It's just second nature now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it for today's episode of the Everything Antarctica podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more about us as hosts, you can find us on Instagram at Jordan and at JohnnyHarrisonNZ. We're also on socials. You can find us at Everything Antarctica. This episode will be released on all streaming platforms and the long-form video will be found on YouTube. Check us out wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating. This will really help us in our mission to make this podcast as good as it possibly can be. Please share this episode with your friends and social networks so we can spread the word to more people. Until next time, stay cool.